And most likely, we all know the story of the three little pigs. I don't think it's a new story to any of us. The three little piglet brothers have decided that they are going to leave their mother and go out into the world, make a place and name for themselves. Their first activity is to build houses for themselves. The, the first pig, as you know, does not put a whole lot of effort into the, the project. He comes upon some straw and he builds a house of straw very quickly and settles into a life of ease. The, the second little piglet, he... Um, Puts a little more effort in. He has sticks he comes upon, and he builds that house out of sticks. That's slightly better than the house of straw. And then he enjoys his ease. The third piglet refuses to take any shortcuts. He takes bricks, and he spends much time laying bricks to make his house a strong, solid construct. It takes so much time that his brothers have plenty of time to mock him along the way as they're enjoying their life of ease. Uh, Of course, you know, not too long after the houses are built that along comes the big bad wolf. And with a huff and a puff, that house of straw goes flying. Takes a little bit more huffing and puffing, but the house of sticks does likewise. And then comes the house of bricks. The house of bricks cannot be blown down. This story, as you understand, is intended to teach us that we need to have hard work. We need to have discipline. The moral of the story is that Things in life that are worth having, they they require effort. We can't just slap something together and hope it's good. Well, I want us to think about this principle as we move into considering genuine love this morning. Love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. That is what Christ has told us in his word. That is what Christ has shown us through his actions when he went to the cross. Love is what distinguishes us as one of Christ's. Christ has instructed us over and over in the New Testament to to show love to one another. We're to show love. God has given us spiritual gifts that, that we are to use to build up the church as we show love to each other. Yet, unless we use our spiritual gifts without love, we're told in, in 1 Corinthians 13, the only result will be like a gong that's clanging away, a clashing cymbal. It will be obnoxious. Our spiritual gifts that God gives us have to be wrapped in love. We have to get love right. Our our love must have a genuineness to it. That is why, as even this past Wednesday, several of us, as we were going through our reading of Romans, we landed in chapter 12 this, this week, we were discussing that right after a section where Paul talks about spiritual gifts, he comes to this list of characteristics of genuine love. We must have love, or everything else is meaningless. We've been looking at this list that Paul gives us in Romans 12 for several weeks now, developing our series on on developing genuine love. We we understand that that Paul is not only giving us a, a list of characteristics here in Romans 12, but he's also pushing us, moving us, encouraging us that we need to develop This kind of love, this genuine love, this this non-hypocrisy type of love. We're to examine our lives. We're to evaluate the the love that we're showing and and ensure that it is genuine. It's the real deal. Unless we do that continually, unless we examine our love over and over, our love may fall short. We may fall back into our sinful habits of self-love rather than genuine Christian love. Christian love strives 
for the good of others. Christian love is always other-focused rather than self-focused. Genuine love, Christian love, must look out for the needs of others. I trust you have your Bibles open on your lap or pulled up on your electronic device. Turn with me to Romans 12. So far we've looked at the first couple of verses in this listing that Paul gives us that defines genuine love. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We've looked that far in this list, and this morning we're going to move into the characteristics of genuine love that Paul gives us in verse 11. Lord willing, I plan to spend the next three weeks looking at each of the, the three characteristics that we find in verse 11. This morning, my plan is to only look at the first one, the, the one you can see written there in the very first phrase of the verse, not lagging behind in diligence. Not lagging behind in diligence. That's the characteristic of genuine love that the Paul has given us that, that we will take a look at here this, after, or this morning. The, the simple idea that we can take from this, we can recognize from what Paul wrote, the simple idea is simply that, that, that we must eagerly put effort into showing genuine love. We must eagerly put effort into showing genuine love. This is one of those ideas that, that it's not really hard to understand. As you read that, I, I doubt that you're having many questions in your mind. What does this mean? How does this, this apply? It's not hard to understand, but that doesn't mean that doing it comes easy. To help us truly examine ourselves, to, to challenge ourselves this morning, I want to spend some time <coughs> excuse me, unpacking what Paul has given us in this very short phrase, not lagging behind in diligence. We must eagerly put effort into showing genuine love. That The first thing that I want to examine is the idea that, that genuine love requires putting forth energy. Genuine love requires putting forth energy. The, the way that Paul tells us that, that we need to put forth energy as part of genuine love is translated in the New American Standard as not lagging behind. Not lagging behind. From, from this translation, we may get the idea of, of failing to, to push hard enough to keep up with expectations. That may be the idea that comes to mind, that the Example that comes to my mind in this lagging behind is I remember one time when I ended up feeling horrible chiding one of my children, my son Daniel, for lagging behind when he was in early elementary school age. I don't remember exactly what grade. It was early elementary. My son had been playing all day with, with some friends. And then we were going to a baseball game down at Detroit Tigers in the evening, and we got there a little bit later downtown than I wanted to, to arrive. So that meant it was almost time for the game to start. And also because we're later, that meant we were parking at one of the further surface lots that I wanted to park at. So we're heading to the park, and I'm setting a pretty brisk pace. I'm moving along because I want to get there for the start of the game. And my son starts lagging behind. He's complaining that his toe hurt. He had hurt his toe that day playing with his friends, but hadn't hurt it bad enough where he had stopped playing. But now as we're walking, he's complaining his toe hurt. 
Well, I offered to give him a ride on my back, but he's too old to want to be going piggyback on his dad's shoulders at that time. So he's lagging behind, and I'm saying, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, come on, pushing him as hard as I can. The reason I feel bad for chiding him that way is we later discovered that he dropped a brick on his toe and he'd broken it. Sensitive dad of the year award there. In my mind, though, that's the kind of image that comes when we see this translation not lagging behind. It gives the idea we're putting forth effort at genuine love, but it's not enough to keep up with God's expectation for us. That we need to press on a little bit more. A different translation in our English Bibles creates a different mental picture. If you have an English Standard Version or the King James Version, they both translate the idea that Paul gives us here is not slothful. Not slothful. Now, I know that that word slothful means not being easily aroused to activity. That, that it takes a lot to get you aroused. But to me, slothful simply means like a sloth. I always think of that slow-moving sloth creature. And, and with that image in mind, the idea then when I read that is, is that it means that we must not move slowly in our efforts to show love. We need to pick up the pace. Don't move slowly like a sloth. Well, both of these images, not lagging behind, not being like a sloth, they both move us in the right direction. But probably we still need a little bit more expansion to fully understand what Paul is telling us in this characteristic here of genuine love when he says, not lagging behind. When Paul gives us this phrase, he communicates his idea by by telling us not to be something. Not, that that word's clear. But then he uses a a word for that something that that is a word that carries the idea of laziness. It's not just a matter of moving too slowly. It's not just that we're falling behind. Paul is telling us not to be lazy in our efforts. We're not to fail to put forth efforts. The, the, the word that Paul uses to express the idea here is not a common word in the New Testament. In, in the New Testament, we only find it one other place, and that's in Matthew 25, verse 26, where it's used by Christ to describe a slave, a lazy slave. Matthew 25 has the parable of the talents. I'm sure you all know the talents that, that Christ gives this parable. The master has three slaves. He gives one ten talents, one five talents, and one one talent. Well, this word shows up when the master's responding to the slave who has the one talent. The one talent that all the slave did was go and bury it so it would still be there when the master came back. Rather than using it in any fashion to increase it, or rather than investing it, he just buries it, does nothing. And the master calls him a, way, a, a wicked, lazy slave. That's our word, lazy slave. This guy did not bother to do anything that was expected of him. The idea that Paul gives us through the word that he uses here, it comes out even more fully when we recognize that the Septuagint, that's the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So I'm sure none of us have read the Septuagint unless we read Greek, and, and even then we probably don't. But way back when, they, they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. Well, 
this word shows up in the Septuagint several times. It's the same word that's used to translate a rather familiar character that, that we encounter in the book of Proverbs, the sluggard. The, the Greek word is used to translate these references to the sluggard, the, the person who in Proverbs puts forth no effort in the required fashion to accomplish anything. Just some well-known examples. Proverbs 6.6, 6, go to the ant, O sluggard. Literally, O lazy one. Our, our word is, is you've described this person, O lazy one. Go to the ant, O lazy one. Observe her ways and be wise. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Proverbs 26, 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard in his bed. Proverbs 26, 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. And we could go on. The, the word sluggard there, this, this word that we're looking at here in Romans, it shows up many times in Proverbs as the sluggard. You get the idea. This is a person who is characterized by this trait. He, he's one who will not put forth any effort. Even if the lack of effort will, will hinder him from a, accomplishing his or, or her goal in some fashion, he, he won't accomplish the desired goal, but it's just too much effort to chase the goal. Understand, when we're talking about the sluggard, we're not talking about someone who hits the snooze on his alarm clock in the morning. We're, we're not even talking about someone who hits the snooze on his alarm clock multiple times. We're talking about someone who never sets an alarm, ever, because he does not care about getting out of bed for anything. The sluggard would rather sleep than work. Essentially, Paul is saying, don't be a sluggard. When we see this here in, in verse 11, we're talking about laziness in the extreme. Now, I expect that most of us have a lazy streak of some kind. Somewhere within us. Now, I know there's a few of you out there that you simply cannot sit still. That, that you have to do something all the time. You have endless nervous energy. You're the exception. But even you may have a streak of laziness. Because all of your busyness may be your means of hiding from what you know you ought to do. Most of us have a lazy streak of some kind. There are certain things that we find ourselves consistently procrastinating rather than jumping on the job and getting it done. For me personally, one of those things is phone calls. I don't like making phone calls. Even if I know the conversation I'm going to initiate with the phone call is something I'm looking forward to, if I'm calling a person that I enjoy speaking with, even then, I will put off picking up the phone and dialing. I am lazy when it comes to phone calls. I don't put out the effort to make phone calls. I lag behind in handling phone calls. That's the idea here. What are you lazy about? What are you hesitant to put effort toward? What Paul is telling us, genuine love 
cannot be the answer to that question. We must put forth the energy necessary to show love. In my personal example, if, if picking up the phone and making the call is an act of genuine love, then I need to pick up the phone and dial it. Genuine love requires that I do it. I must put forth the effort. And the same is true for you. You too are required by God to put forth the effort necessary for genuine love. We must eagerly put effort into showing genuine love. It requires, genuine love requires first here, putting forth effort. Very simple. We, we see that as we unpack this first part of Paul's characteristic here, the not lagging behind. It means put forth effort. Don't be lazy in putting forth effort toward genuine love. Second, as we keep unpacking this further, let's observe that the genuine love also requires an eager zeal. In eager zeal. Look again at, at Paul's words as, as we have them in the New American Standard. Not lagging behind in diligence. Diligence is a common way to, to translate. Several English versions also use zeal rather than diligence. In zeal. In, in the original language, the, the words that we're looking at here, not lagging behind in diligence, the two parts of that phrase are actually flipped around. The in zeal or the in diligence comes first. It's the emphasis. That's where the, the, the focus needs to be. Paul's emphasis is on the idea of diligence or zeal that we're to put forth. Zeal is probably a good translation for the word they uses, as Paul gives us this characteristic. This word is, is not uncommon. It shows up 11 times in the New Testament. And every time it shows up, the, the word they use carries a sense of eagerness about it. For example, in Luke chapter 1, right after the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells Mary that she is going to deliver the, the Messiah, that she's going to be with, with child and, and deliver Jesus, she's also told by Gabriel that Elizabeth, her relative, is with child. And we're told in verse 39 that as soon as the angel leaves, Mary went in a hurry to the hill country to see Elizabeth. In a hurry translates our word here, the eagerness that she had to see Elizabeth. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7 and 8, the New American Standard translates this same word as eagerness. Paul's encouraging the, the Corinthians there to participate in the offering that he's taking up, the collection that he's gathering from primarily Gentile churches for the, the church in Jerusalem where the Jews have been suffering persecution. He encourages Corinthians to respond with eagerness. We have it translated. In Hebrews 6, verse 10, the, the word is used in contrast to sluggish in, in verse 11. So it always has this word that, that we're looking at, zeal or diligence. It always has a word, an idea of eagerness, an idea of putting effort forth with eagerness. At the same time, we don't want to lose the idea of diligence from the nuance here. Paul uses this word that has that nuance. Diligence carries the idea of not shirking our duty, doing what we are called to do, doing it fully, taking the energy to its fullness. Our goal, really, as we think about this characteristic, is mentally we have to combine these two ideas. The idea of haste 
and diligence as we think about what Paul is telling us here about genuine love. The overall idea is that of eager action. We take action, we take the right action, but we do it with an eagerness. As I said, zeal is probably about as good as we can get in English to capture the idea. Maybe an illustration of what I'm trying to express here will will help us understand this more fully. I can think of three real-life responses that that I've personally seen from my granddaughter, Fidley, to the exact same words. Three different responses given to the instruction, go get your shoes. So those are the words. Here's the three different ways she's responded. There's been times when she's so engaged in in what she's doing that, that it's like those words were never uttered. Maybe she's playing with a favorite toy or she's watching something on TV and she's told, go get your shoes. And from all visible response, it's as if the words were never spoken. She completely ignores the instruction. She totally lacks diligence in her response. She shirks her duty to follow the instruction. There are other times when the same words are given And while she does not want to follow them, she knows she must. Frequently, time two comes after time one, when she's been ignoring the response, and suddenly the tone changes slightly. Go get your shoes. She knows the situation has become more serious. She's smart enough to know that a continued failure to respond will, shall we say, have undesirable consequences. So she does what she's told. Still, there, there's generally a noticeable lack of haste. She, she takes a couple of steps towards her shoes and then stands and watches TV for another moment before taking a couple more steps. Or she gets her shoes and then takes the long loop on the way back past her toy and just kind of stops there and plays for a moment on her way back. Things like that. The haste element is, is lacking. I'm sure you can anticipate the third scenario. The words, go get your shoes, are uttered, but they're, but they're in a context where that's, that ties into a suggestion of doing something she really wants to do. Like, Finley, do you want to go to the park? Go get your shoes. The only delay that comes is the excited hopping up and down as she dashes to get her shoes. She wants to do this. There's an instant response, an eager zeal. She'll do what she's told. That really is the picture that we should have in mind as we think about this aspect of the characteristic of genuine love that we're looking at this morning. We should have this eager zeal to show genuine love to people. Excited, hopping up and down, we get to show love. I often think we find this kind of zeal challenging. We want to show genuine love to people, but oftentimes... It seems rather unexciting. Sometimes it, it comes because it hinders us doing what we find enjoyable. So we lack the zeal, the haste. You know, people are needy creatures. Have you ever noticed that? People are needy creatures. We, we know that's true of infants. Infants are needy people. But, but really, as we become adults, we really remain almost as needy as infants. It doesn't take a lot to discourage us at times. 
Some of us can, can certainly go from emotional highs to evo- emotional lows in what seems like the blink of an eye. You know, right after the day we talked with someone and, and found out how great things were going, we get that phone call that they're bottoming out emotionally. Expending the emotional energy to encourage them again may not seem like the most exciting way to spend our evening. There are also many unexpected events that, that pop into our lives. Things that, that can, can be fine one moment and crashing the next. As I was working on this sermon yesterday, I got the, the notes from, from Janet and Carol about what was going on with Carol's son, Douglas. A strong young man that's been in the church many times with his mother here, bringing her here, suddenly is in the hospital with emergency surgery. He can no longer take care of his mother. He needs people to take care of him. There's suddenly a whole suite of doctors and nurses working to, to save his life, and we praise God that he came through the surgery well. But unexpected events pop up, and, and the point is, we can find men and women suddenly in great need, and these times do not always fit well into our planned schedule. We may not begrudge the person that has the need, the fact that they have the need, but we likely... And we likely maybe even want to show genuine love, but it just doesn't fit our schedule very well. And that zaps our zeal. We may struggle to put zeal into our efforts to show love to others that rearranges our plans for the day completely. Compounding these other challenges to our zeal, we have the, the simple fact that we're also sinful creatures. We're sinful people. Sin is messy. It creates all kinds of ugly, painful circumstances. It's impossible to walk with someone through their temptations and their failures without sharing their pain. Do you have the zeal to do that? Making it even more difficult, often dealing with sin in the lives of others means pointing out sin that, quite frankly, the person is enjoying at the moment. Genuine love, remember that the first characteristic we saw, it abhors evil. Genuine love abhors evil. When we see someone we love indulging in evil, we must address it. But it really is unlikely that the first time we do so, or even the seventh time, that conversation will be a fun one. Until the person admits that there is sin that they are coddling in their lives, the conversation will be painful. Do you have zeal for that type of love? After all, that is genuine love. Genuine love requires eager zeal. We must eagerly put effort into showing genuine love. Genuine love requires an eager zeal. That's the second observation that that we get as we unpack this very short characteristic that, that Paul gives us here at the beginning of verse 11. Genuine love requires an eager zeal. The last thing that I want us to think about this morning is that we really need to put both of our observations together. Genuine love requires combining energy and zeal. We cannot have one without the other. Genuine love requires combining energy and zeal. It's insufficient to put energy into doing things. We must do the right things. We must put our energy into the right things. 
It's also insufficient, though, to put energy into doing the right things if there's no zeal in that energy, no eagerness, no, no urgency behind it. I, I love how one commentator expresses it. He, he said, he summarizes Paul's words here by saying, where zeal is needed, Paul is telling the readers that they must not be lazy people. Where zeal is needed, we must not be lazy people. Where zeal is needed, I must not be a lazy person. Where zeal is needed, you must not be a lazy person. A clear place where zeal is needed is in showing genuine love. You must be a person who combines energy and zeal in showing love to others. Genuine, non-hypocrisy type of love to others. We must do that. One thing that's clear, friends, as we continue this series here on developing genuine love is is that we keep coming back to the same basic ideas. Genuine love is hard. It is time-consuming. It requires sacrifice. It takes emotional energy. It, It involves pain and sorrow. These ideas keep coming up over and over again. Do you have energy? And zeal for this. There really isn't only there there really is only one good reason why we would put forth the energy and the zeal that's required for genuine love. Only one good reason. And the reason is because we know that is part of becoming like our Savior. It's part of becoming like our Savior. Do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to reflect him to the world around you? Do you want to serve your Savior? Let me challenge you this morning. If the immediate response is not an inwardly passionate, yes, I want to be like Christ. I want to show him to the world. I want to serve him. If that's not your immediate inward answer, you have a problem. Do you have the energy and the zeal to love others? Especially, as we've said other weeks, the people in this room. If you do not have that, what makes you think you're saved? Remember, love for one another is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. The the moment we're saved, we receive a supernatural, spirit-given desire to love others that Christ has saved like us. It becomes part of our makeup. It's who we are. As we grow in Christ, that desire to see others come to know Him and to experience His love, it grows in us as well. We're transformed by the working of the Spirit so that loving others becomes more important to us than than indulging ourselves. Because Christ becomes more important to us than anything else. Now, I know that we will all fail at times to act out an inward desire to love others. We will fail to act out this inward desire because our old selfish desire, it's still there within us. It's telling us to to look out for number one, to indulge ourselves. So we will at times fail to show the love that we want to show. But there will be that inward desire within us to show love, a, a desire that, frankly, we will regret every time we fail. We will regret failing to deliver 
on opportunities that God gives us to show love. Do you want to show love to others? I assume that for most of us, the immediate response inwardly is, yes, I want to show love to others. Well, genuine love requires combining energy and zeal. Genuine love requires combining energy and zeal. The story of the three little pigs is not necessarily a a story of genuine love, although in in a lot of the versions that that you find, the the third pig does show love to his, his siblings by opening up his house and giving a refuge from the big bad wolf so they do not become piglet snacks along the way. In every version of the story, there is the idea of putting forth effort through hard work for that which is meaningful. Well, genuine love is meaningful. Genuine love is worth putting hard work into. As we've seen this morning, we must eagerly put effort into showing genuine love. We must eagerly put effort into showing genuine love. Paul has shown us, number one, that that genuine love requires putting forth effort. Two, he's shown us that genuine love requires an eager zeal. And as we've seen, thirdly, we need to put these together. Genuine love requires combining energy and zeal. Only when we do that will we eagerly put forth the effort that we need to put forth to show genuine love. We must eagerly put effort into showing genuine love. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to examine ourselves this morning. May we do the necessary self-inspection to see are we truly showing the eager zeal that we ought to show, the effort that must be there to show genuine love to others. Our Father, are we allowing ourselves to be fooled by our sin nature such that we call it love when really all we're doing is indulging ourselves? Father, I pray that you would help us to become men and women who are known for the genuine love that we show one another that we would do this so that the name of Christ would shine forth from us throughout our community and around the world. We want to be known as Christians, those who love one another, because we want our Savior to be magnified. It's in his name we pray. Amen.